We can turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4 today. Uh, the, coming through the first parts of this book, like I've said several times, we're doing it very differently than I've ever done it before. Uh, normally, you know, as you come through Ephesians, people will take this at, at uh, anywhere from one verse to five or six verses, ten verses at a time. And what I've tried to do this go around is to take the what I would call the uh, the airplane ride look at Ephesians, getting way up high and covering a little bit more of it, a kind of a chapter per Sunday, and getting the uh, original intent, I believe, of the letter. And as I've been reading through this and living life, it's funny, you know, as you go to a church that teaches through the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> It, it starts changing your life week by week uh, as time goes by. And the way that I think God intended the Scripture to be for the church age was that it would apply to your life as you're living it. And so what I'm getting at is this. If, if you're going through something where your walk with the Lord is challenged, you'll find that the scripture you're studying through will speak to you very loudly. And if you don't like what it says, and so you think, you know, I like my life just fine, I'm going to study somewhere else. That'll teach God. So you jump ship and you go to another book, you find that God somehow has his message for you there too. And he's just hammering it home. And that's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God to change your hearts and my heart. And so in a church like we are, where we teach through the Bible, you know, I don't know all of your issues. I don't know your lives, really. Um, you know, we know each other as far as in the church, but we're not personal, you know, in that way. So you've got your things you're going through. And a lot of times what happens is people think, well, the pastor... You know, he uh, somehow found out what I'm going through, so he's preaching to me. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm just a guy. I, I have my problems through the week, the same as everybody else. I'm just living, and I just looked at this, and I, it really just hit me. And so then I come down here and share it with you. And and then, you know, be that as it may, some of you, you know, will, will think, you know, how dare he? Well, well don't. Um <laughs> I don't know, but I do hope that the Word of God, if I can speak the truth about what it's doing to me, that perhaps God will use it to do something in you. And that's really the basis of what we're doing here in church, right? Uh, so here in chapter 4, for the first three chapters, he's told us how wonderful it is, the simple truth of salvation, that once you weren't saved, now you are saved. Um, and he goes through that, he laid it out very uh, uh, straightforward. And we come to chapter 4, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he starts, and that's the basis of this entire chapter. Um, beseech is to beg. He's saying, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Uh, a lot of questions come up there because one, what you're calling, and the other one is the word walk. 
So if you look at that, he, he beseeches, he begs you to walk. And walk, in the Greek there, that word means to order your behavior. So it means to you, you change your behavior. He says, I beg you, change your behavior to be worthy of the calling with which you were called. And uh, you can get stuck on this verse because sometimes we don't know what is our, what's our calling. Um, I didn't know what my calling was in life. In other words, why did God have me to be born and call me and save me and keep me here as long as he has? Uh, well, it was to teach the word. I know that now, but I didn't know that until I was in my, you know, uh, early 30s. So don't confuse walking with God, being saved, with knowing your calling. Sometimes we don't know our, what our calling is, what God really wants us to do with our lives for a long time. Here's the thing if you don't know, keep looking. Don't get comfortable. Uh, doing nothing, keep looking. And then you can walk worthy of that. Um, so you can order your behavior to be differently. Verse 2, this is how you're going to do that, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Um, the other thing I want to bring out before we move further in, in verse 1, it's beseech you to walk worthy. And worthy, you think like, well, I'm not worthy. What is that? Yeah, look at what the word really means. Okay, again, in the Greek, worthy, it can mean balanced. So, so walk balanced with the calling you were called. So don't be lopsided. Sometimes in life, you know, it's like, but my career. Well, if you aim too hard at your career and not what God has for you, you're not balanced. Um, on the other hand, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to worry about living. I'm not going to worry about money. I'm just going to do this spiritual calling. Well, you're, that's where you're so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. Um, on planet Earth, you have to work. I'm sorry. You know, that uh, the Democrats may say you don't, but you do. Uh, you have to work. You have to make money. And uh, with that, you know, money, they say, not right, they say money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what the Bible says says the love of money. It's out of balance, you see. Uh, money can be a great thing, but out of balance, it can ruin your life. So, um, but to have it, to, have, you know, to, to be balanced in life as you go to serve the Lord, these are good traits for a Christian. Money can help others if you're able and blessed or you can give and do other things. It's, good. it's all good. Balanced. Um, and you're balanced with, I think, verse 2, the lowliness, the gentleness, long-suffering, Long-suffering, that means you're not short-fused with other Christians that are coming along that aren't as far along in the faith as you are. You bear with them, okay? So when they're falling and flailing, uh, you're there to pick them up and get them back going again. And uh, you bear with one another then in love. You endeavor, verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, so you endeavor to keep, that's to hold it together, the unity of the Spirit. What is that? Well, there's one Spirit in us all. Okay? So what happens in churches is there's this thing called disunity. And that's what really, I would say, perpetrates throughout the church more often than unity, unfortunately. And he says that's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, to, to stay together. He doesn't really, I don't think... 
like the idea of all the churches that we have in the world. There's not a unity. Um, you know, a lot of towns will have a minister's alliance, and then all the churches will get together, and the, the pastors. And some towns it works, some towns it doesn't, unfortunately. But we really shouldn't be. You know, the Baptists shouldn't be pitted against the Lutherans and the Lutherans to the Baptists and, oh, well, we go to Calvary, you know, so we're we're proud that we're non-denominational, you know. And, and so you can get all of these little pieces going, and that's not how he intended it either. I think he intended it, uh, verse 4, that there is one body, that there's one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. So in a lot of words, Paul says, there's really just one church. So you're off in your thinking if you think that one church is better than the other. We're all Christians in this, and we're supposed to walk worthy. Okay. So moving ahead, verse 7, he says, but. So, okay, with that aside... As you begin to live your life now, first three chapters, become a Christian. Now, let's live as Christians. Number one, we're all together. First thing baby Christians do is they go, which group am I going to be part of? It's kind of like when you first go to college, you know. Uh, the students are all like, so which uh, which Ferrari or whatever are you going to be part of? Yeah. Sorority, whatever. Uh, you know, Depending on who you are. Uh, what are you going to be part of? And, you know, some people, don't get your feelings hurt if you're part of one, but what you're doing is you get to be a part of a group that you pay to be a part of to buy your friends, just saying. But anyway, you're basically, that's what you're doing. You're paying to be part of a group of people. And uh, then your group is better than the other group, right? I mean, that's how it starts working. Well, this group is better than that group, and that's, that's how the thing works. And I guess maybe in the spirit of competition, that's a good thing to split up into kind of teams, you know? I mean, that's kind of what it hap what happens. In the church, that's not exactly what's supposed to happen. So you become a Christian, you're like, so which group are you going to be part of? Well, I think I'm going to be Baptist. I kind of like to, you know, dress up. Uh, or, you know, I'm going to be part of the Presbyterians because I kind of like to have a, a guy in a robe, you know, that gives me my messages. Or Lutheran. Or, you know, I'm going to be this or that or whatever. I'm going to be charismatic because I kind of like to exercise during church. Uh, whatever. I mean, whatever your thing is. But we, we put more importance on the group than on is God there and is the Word there. You see, when you go across the nation and you look at the Calvary chapels, the one thing I do like, there's some things I don't about any group, but the thing I do like is there is, in every one of our churches, there is an importance of teaching the Word of God. So that sort of brings kind of a, it's kind of like if you go eat at Sonic, you get the same burger, you know, everywhere you go. It's kind of like, that, that's that's good about churches. If you go to a Calvary, you can say, hey, they may dress differently. If you go to, you know, Hawaii to the Calvary on the beach, you know, it's going to look different than our Calvary. Um, their dress is different. You go to California, their dress is going to be different in some of the churches, uh, those sort of things, than here. But there is the teaching of the Word of God. That's going to be the same. And that's, the, that's, the, that's really what should bring us together is the Word of God and Jesus, right? And so that's what he's saying. There's just, there should just be one. So first mistake baby Christians make, they turn into groupies. So he says, don't turn into groupies. 
find somewhere that teaches the Bible. I don't care what they call it. They need to teach the Bible. Go there. Then, verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So once you're saved, he says, here's the other thing, baby Christians, that you should know. One, no groups. Second, um, there's this thing called spiritual gifts that he's given into each of your lives. Now, don't go crazy with this today. It's not gifts where you're going to turn into, you know, Darth Vader shooting lightning and all this sort of stuff. That's not, everybody confuses the gifts of the Spirit to mean power is given to you. Power flows through you, and most of the time you don't even know it. That's how the gifts of the Spirit work. It just happens. God actually wields you. He uses you in the lives of those around you. So he says, therefore, verse 8. Now, these next uh, three verses, uh, yeah, three, three verses, uh, we could stay there all morning, but we're just not. Um, I'll give you the two ideas. It says, says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, notice this is parentheses. Now this, what he's trying to do is, he's trying to explain what he quoted in verse uh, 8, uh, where he's quoting Psalm 68, 18. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. So then in verse 9 and 10, parentheses, he's going to explain what Psalms means. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he first, or that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Who also descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So two two thoughts here. One is that when Jesus died on the cross, he descended into the lower parts of the earth, hell, Hades. He led captivity captive. So in the Old Testament days, the theology goes that, that there's Abraham's bosom down there that's split into two pieces so that the uh, Old Testament saints, because they couldn't go to heaven because they weren't saved, but they were saved by faith. So they went down into Hades, but they went to Abraham's bosom's part. And then the uh, those that were destined truly for hell went to the other side. Uh, there's a story in the Gospels uh, where Jesus talks about a guy named Lazarus. He's a different Lazarus than the one he brought back to life. He talks about him, and he says uh, in the parable that he died and went down there, this rich man and then this Lazarus, this poor beggar guy. And Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, and there's this chasm between them. And the rich guy's on the other side, and he's hollering across the way, saying, uh, you know, give me just a drip of water on the end of my tongue. I mean, he's like burning up over there. It's hot. Um, And he, he can't do that. And he says, look, send him back so that he can go warn all my brothers to, you know, get your life right because you don't want to end up on this side. So there's that whole little parable um that that works in with this the old testament does support it um that that was there and then when jesus died on the cross that he went down these verses come into play and he he led the captivity that were down there the the captives out of their captivity took them to heaven because that's where now souls uh will reside so there's that idea the other idea is this is that he first Descended. In other words, Jesus was in heaven at the right hand of God before he came down. And he descended to the lower parts of the earth, which that in the Greek can also be 
just Earth down here. This is this is lower Earth, you know, um, and that he was here, that he led then us all the captives free when he died on the cross, and that we now can all go to heaven. So which is right? I don't know. Um, those, both of those ideas are supported by Scripture. You can actually believe either one, and I'll still be friends with you. So, uh, some people do, though. I will warn you, in the Christian circles, they will get very hot under the collar both ways. I don't even know why. I like, you know, some things are worth arguing over, some things just aren't, you know. But, um, anyway, verse 11. In light of all that, regardless, when he died on the cross, he's led captives free, us and them. So regardless, we're free. So now moving back to living for Christ, which is the basis of the chapter, he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Um, now, if you're really into studying spiritual gifts, First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, both of those places uh, and, and this teaching are the three New Testament teachings on the gifts of the Spirit. And you will find, and my belief is, that when you accepted the Lord, He put His Spirit in you to seal you. Ephesians chapter 2, remember, talked all about that. He seals you, but He also gifts you. And He doesn't gift you in order to do things for yourself. He gifts you to bless others. And sometimes you're years figuring out what your gifts are. Sometimes I think we use them just stupidly. We just, uh, you know, you're hospitable and you find out God used you and uh, you just thought you were being nice, you know, trying to win some brownie points with somebody. But God uses us. And there, there's not as much, like I said, there's not as much uh, uh, science fiction-y uh, look at this as there should be. It's more of a, uh, just a, re- it's a reality of life. If you belong to the Lord, God gifts you and it's used. Don't confuse that with the Galatians teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. You know, fruit are things that you choose to have in your life as you're walking with the Spirit and He changes your life and that blesses other people. All Christians should have fruit. And uh, so there's this fruit of the Spirit, you know, joy, peace, long-suffering, all those things that are there in our lives. But then there's these gifts. Uh, And... He says in verse 12 that it is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. So it's very pointed, I think, when he's gifting you. It's to do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And it's for a specific time also. These gifts aren't yours forever. They are while you're living here from the time you accept Christ until he takes you to heaven. Because it says, till we come to the unity of the faith. Um and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. And you're like, well, I'm going to have it for a long time then because you know, we're, we're a long ways from being perfect, but we're on a road uh, to getting there to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ because we always measure our life by Christ. So let me back up. I don't, want us, I don't want us to get lost in the weeds today. He's saying, I beg you, walk worthy of the calling that you're called because you're called to serve the Lord in some way. What is it? You'll find out. He'll let you know. Remember, we're one faith. We're one body. So don't get wrapped up in that, the clubs. Just 
get your Bible, learn your Bible, follow Jesus, go to a church that teaches the Bible, and know then that some are called to various things. So you're not going to be called to everything. You're called to probably a particular thing, which is good to know. Um, And then the reason is verse 14, that we should no longer be uh, children, uh, tossed to and fro, children. That's a special word, and it means small children not yet speaking. So he's really writing this whole chapter to young, brand-new Christians, going, don't get caught in the groups. Um, you don't want to be these little children, that like, like little toddlers, not even speaking yet, um, spiritually speaking, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's a very wordy verse, but he's just saying there's a lot of people in the church that get duped by tradition. They'll get duped by uh, you know this group or that group. Are you seeing how the whole chapter is working together? Don't get in the groups. In a church, if you want to fall in with a bad crowd, wait for somebody to start a Bible study that's exclusive. You know, I, to me, that's like a red flag. Why are you starting this exclusive little Bible study? What's going on? Um, and then if it's an us for no more mentality, boy, that's terrible. Um, you have a little Bible study, you know, that meets somewhere and it's like, well, we just want to invite our other people we want there. And then when you start tearing apart what your church is doing or what the main line is doing, you're like, this is a waste of your time. And I'm telling you, run from it. Just run from it. You want to, I want you to see you happy. I want to see you blossom in life. And that is not the way. And Paul knows that. That's why he's warning the new young Christians. Because when you get older in the Lord, you don't have time for it. And frankly, you just don't care anymore. So, you know, I'm not going to the Bible study. It'll be the new young Christian who thinks we just need more. You don't need any more than the Word of God. And if you think you have it all, start over and read it again. Study through it again. There's more right here. You know, they, they always ask me about what about the lost books of the Bible? Leave them lost, I say. Um, we've got enough right here. And I'm not saying some of the other things weren't uh, uh, cool stories. There's some good history in some of the Apocrypha and the lost books of the Bible. But there is enough right here. And I know this is true. So I'm going to focus on what I know is true, not what could be half true. And just stay right here. And I would tell Christians that. Well, instead of reading everybody's books on prayer, try praying. That's, you know, genius move right there. Um, you know, instead of uh, reading books on how to love, just love. Quit hating. It's not that hard. Most of the Christian concepts are brutally simple, but extraordinarily hard for the human to wrap their mind around. It's no different than a teacher with two five-year-olds, and you're like, just get along. Why? out of a classroom does two just hate each other? I don't know. They just pick at each other. I mean, they can't leave each other alone. And we always wonder about that. They're human. That's why. They're little babies, just like baby Christians. You see two of them going at it in a church. You're like, just that we got so many chairs. We have an aisle just for that so that you can separate, you know, just just come and sit on your side. They can be there and just go. You hear the word of God and go home, you know, Quit socializing if it's an issue for you. Um, so Paul knows that. So he's saying, 
look, you're going to be gifted, and that is so that the teaching of the word can go forth. Verse 14, so that you're no longer children. In other words, so you can grow up. And so that every idiot that comes along with something new to say, you don't just follow them. He's saying, don't do that. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Now, that's an important thing. I wish a lot of pastors would get that. I hope that I do good at this. But I have always endeavored not to scream and yell or bang on pulpits. And, uh, you know, even when I was healthier and up, I didn't do the walking around and banging and making everybody feel bad because I never really felt called to be the preacher, but more of a teacher. Just teach the word and let it fall where it is. Here's the thing about the truth. You can speak the truth in a few words and you can speak them in kindness and you can speak them with a smile and it will have just the same effect as if you scream and yell at somebody. In fact, I think it's better. Most people learn better when they're taught, not screamed at. And um, so uh, that's what he's saying here. Speak the truth in love. Never, if you're talking to somebody about Jesus, start the conversation with everything the person in front of you is doing wrong. Tell them what Jesus is doing that's so right. In other words, I wouldn't ever tell anybody, hey, you sleeping with uh, that married person or whatever, uh, boy, you're a horrible person. And start railing on them on why that's so bad because of, of, in other words, they're bad. But I would come at it from the angle of, what does God's word say? Well, he says not to commit adultery for this reason. It ruins lives. And whatever man or woman on the other end of that other relationship you are wrecking their world. And do you know if they have kids or not? You're wrecking those kids' world. And what you're doing that you think is an act of love is an act of lust, and it's an act of hatred towards people you've never even met, and you're not considering it. That's how I would tell them. Because God's a God of love. He doesn't do things that harm or that that hate or that ruin lives, but that put back together lives. And so... Don't ever attack the person, but what they're doing, and you can you can usually get through to them on some level. They may disagree with you, but you can never run away from the fact that if you're damaging a kid's life on the other end of the sin, you know if they see that, that's the that is what will bring them back around to realize that what I'm doing it's damaging, and God's way is actually better. You see, so when you're when you when you come at issues, we have to do it in love. You have to do it in love. Um, and you do that so they may grow up in all things into him who is the head. In other words, so these baby Christians can grow up, we do this stuff in love. Just like if you were tending to a baby. Any of you that are parents, you know, you treat the baby a lot differently than you treat an 18-year-old, right? And that's what he's saying here. Treat, treat all these dear ones that show up, that are, their lives are in a tattered mess, Treat them like babes, and that's how we should get along. From whom, so talking about Christ, from whom this whole body, that's the body of the church, is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, and it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Wonderful verse. And all that's saying is, 
if we do this right, when we first come into the church and we take care of the babies, um, sort of like a family, if you take care of your little babies, they grow up and the family gets bigger and larger and can do more and you turn into a clan. And, you know, here before long, you've got this big family and that's what churches do. If you take care of the little babes that show up, the, the, in Acts, uh, into chapter two, it says, and the Lord shall add daily to the church such as should be saved. So God brings them in. We love them with the love of Christ. And you watch lives. You know, in church, that's the one cool thing that I would say that I see. It's also the biggest heartache. It's to watch people that come to church and they're kind of hanging back. You know, this, they're not really part of you. They're just here because it's a good idea. And you watch over the weeks and the months them start to soften. You know, and I know, like when I get up here, where everybody sits, you know, and so you know, it, it's very familiar to us in here, the look of it all. You know when people are gone, you know. You think, oh, nobody notices. We notice, always notice. Like, where are they? They haven't been here for a few weeks. It's not a a personal friendship. It's a spiritual friendship of, oh, I hope everything's okay with them. Uh, because you, you, you've come to rely on that. And as the church works together, we rely on each other. And I rely on you guys just as much as you would on me. And... Uh, to it, it keeps us going until that day that we go home to be with the Lord. And that's what this is about. That's what uh, Hebrews chapter 6 says. Don't forsake the, the, the gathering together of yourselves so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why? So much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, as things get worse and worse in the world, we're supposed to get tighter and tighter together. Because, you know, I don't know if y'all ever watched Fast and Furious. I can't as a pastor, say that's a great movie. But, you know, Dom in there, it's like family, you know. It's all about family. He's willing to go to bat over family. And they're not his family. They're all put together, you know. But, hey, that's what a church should be. I love that movie just for that, you know. He's willing to go to bat for his family. And in a church, it's like family. Kick him out the door, you know. And too, too often, as soon as somebody goes down, we kick him out the door. And, and he's saying that's not how it's supposed to be. So he says, look, at the end of this chapter, y'all are all going to go home mad. I don't know how to do this without that happening. So we'll just read through it fast here. Okay. So he says, with all that said, now look, when you come to Jesus, things ought to look different. So this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So he says, they're all messed up out there. So quit acting and bringing their ideas into the church. It's not going to work. Anybody that shows up in church and says, well, this isn't going to work. Any business knows you don't run it this way. Oh, it's not a business. Church is not a business. This runs very differently. There's an economy to the church. Uh, I mean, there's, there's you know administration and all that. But our staff... We do not have a pyramid hierarchy scheme of a ladder that you climb. Uh, I do not have my special group. I will not. I, I just, I won't do this. Um, I like to be open to everyone. Obviously, if the church was a thousand people, I understand those pastors that say, I can't see you all. Uh, I get that. But we are not a business here. So it's not going to look like one. So we have, we're supposed to just get that out of our minds. Don't walk as they walk. And your personal life. 
what works in the world, you know, and you say, well, that's wrong that they're doing this or that. No, why is it wrong for them? If they're not saved, it's not right or wrong. But if you're a Christian, it's wrong for you. Why? Because you live under a new set of rules now. You live under a new set of rules. Do you wonder sometimes maybe, why is my life so defeated? And yet I belong to the Lord. It's because you're not living for the Lord. You see, you didn't get saved and him say, I want you to get saved so that when you die, you get to go to heaven. Remember, every time it talks about when you are accepting the Lord, it's so that you can live for the Lord. There's a point to why you're here right now. It's a point to why I'm here. It's to live for the Lord. I'm already sealed. I'm going to heaven. I could die this afternoon, and I know that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So that's not why I'm here. May as well just get on with it, right? Why are, why are we here? We are here to be the light of the world, to shine for others to see. And in the church, we've lost it all if we are hiding our light or if our light is not affecting others around us. So this is a, this is a point that we need to drive home for ourselves. I want my light to shine so that others can see it so that it changes lives. Not I can change them, but that Christ through me can change lives. So don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walks in the futility of their mind. They're messed up in the head, you think? Bible says you're right. They are. They have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. You think, man, that person, they're, they're an idiot. They're stupid. Exactly. Most people are, actually. We're born that way. And when you come to the light, you know, no different than uh, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a story where a servant walks out of the tent and, and uh, he sees this huge army of Syria gathered outside the door for one prophet, you know. And so he goes running back in and goes, you know, Elijah, we've got problems out here. I'm like, what? I'm like, the Syrian army has showed up for you, for one guy. And, uh, well, two, really, because the servant would probably get hauled off, too. But anyway, he says, you know, in, uh, well, paraphrasing, he says, no worries, you know. Uh, and so he prays, Lord, open the servant's eyes that he may see. So he goes back outside and goes, oh, the host of heaven. <laughs> so all these chariots and, and angels that outnumbered the Syrian army were gathered around in the spiritual dimension. So... Uh, you know, well, okay. Uh, it's, in other words, the battle's already won. You just can't see the outcomes. Don't get duped by what you can see. There's so much more going on that we can't see. If that was true back then, it's true today. And uh, God is working. Now, understand this, though. It, it, there's a blindness, it says in verse 18, in their hearts. You look at the world today, it's like, you know, how did 2020 happen? on many levels. There's a blindness that's in the hearts of so many of our people, our fellow Americans. They're blind to the truth that's out there. Who being past feeling, now catch this, past feeling, that is a medical term in the Greek. And what it means, it's a, it's a word that would be used in the old days for leprosy. The way leprosy worked back then is it, it's a disease uh, really of the nerves. <clears throat> and as the nerves go away, uh, it, they lose feeling. So then they you know, have all kinds of problems due to that. But 
when you can't feel something, you can pick up a hot pan and just hold it. And it's doing the same damage that it would to you or me. But they can't feel it. They're past feeling. And he says here, who, these people in the world, they're past feeling. In other words, they do wrong. Their conscience is seared over. And they don't even feel like it's wrong. That's why when you talk to people that are in alternative lifestyles and you say, but the Bible says that's not, that's just not right. You shouldn't be doing that. And I don't understand how do you say that it's right. They're past feeling. They're, that, that button in them that says this is wrong did not get triggered. It's not their fault anymore. They've gone so far that they are now, Romans 1, it talks about they're given over to it. It doesn't mean that God gave them over and said, I'll never have you back. They gave themselves over to it. I mean, they have just gone so far in sin. And that doesn't apply to one sin. That's all sins. You know, I've seen people that are habitual liars and they lie and they lie and they lie. And you're going, why are you even lying about now? This isn't even, you're not even covering anything up. You're just lying to lie. They can't tell the truth any longer. And uh, they live a fake, phony life. Why? Because they're past feeling. That little button that you or I have, like, uh, it's a white lie, but it's still a lie. I better fix that. It doesn't exist for some people if you're away from the Lord. So they gave themselves over, it says in verse 19 here, to lewdness. This is just talking generality in the world. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Again, because the buttons broke. They just don't feel any longer. That's where you came from. But then he says, you've not so learned Christ. In other words, you are different. So baby Christians is who he's addressing today. Don't join the groups. You're gifted. There's a reason you're here. And as soon as you're saved, you didn't go to heaven. So you're alive for Christ. And then he says, remember where you came from. But you haven't learned Christ, so quit living that way. You wonder why you're so defeated? Well, quit living like you were living. Change. If indeed, verse 21, you've heard him, did you hear Jesus in your heart? And you were taught by him. You've been reading his word and coming to church, so you know. As the truth is in Jesus, then action is required. Action's required of you and of me. Then put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. In other words, quit acting like you did before you knew Jesus. You know better now. Now there's something in you that triggers. And I don't, that's why I don't preach against things, because you know. is All I need to do is get Jesus in your heart, and he'll do the rest. Because what happens is, is uh, whatever you were doing that you defend, you go like, ah, well, now, I defend this that, I'm, that I've always did because, well, I don't know why you're defending it. I never said it was wrong, right? What's telling you in your heart that that's wrong? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working God to you, and that is your thing. And he's saying, put those things off concerning, concerning the former conduct and the old man that's within you, because that was the old you. Now, with Jesus, you're a new man. You're a new creation um, so he says, put all that off and all those deceitful lust. That's the thing of the mind. You know, when you lust after something that's in the mind, you have to change your mind about things. You know, it's kind of like porn. You know, if you have a problem with porn, um, try one little thing. Next time you're looking at it, which I'm not saying to look, just clarify. If you go look at it, though, you just can't help yourself. 
and you see those girls, remember that they are broken people and that they are somebody's loved one. And it is breaking their heart that they're there being recorded doing all sorts, you know, all sorts of things. They're a person. They're, they're a real person too. The other thing you should be aware of is these days, um, over half of the porn in the U.S. that's easily accessible, those uh, so-called models are uh, girls that are being sex-slaved, and it's just wrong. And when you're watching it, you know, you think, well, I'm not supporting it. No money changed hands. They, they know how many people visit their sites, and they're getting paid to run advertisements on their sites based on how many people are logging on. And so you are helping it. But remember that they're a person too. They're a person too. And we're supposed to be people of love now. So you know what? Um, I would, if I could free them, I would go into a brothel or wherever if I could tell them about Jesus and pull them out of there. But they're real people too. And that's how you have to start looking at it. Not selfishly looking at what you're going to get out of that experience. I hope you follow this. As a new creation in Christ, you've got to start looking at people the way God does. And He loves them. And we have to love them too. And that means not using them in those ways. So you put off your former conduct. Verse 23, be renewed. That's a, the word metamorphosize. That's you, you were an ugly worm. You've, you've been reborn as a Christian, as a beautiful butterfly. So... You know, act like it. Uh, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on then the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness. True righteousness. Not what you say is right any longer. But what does God say is right? See, in the end of Judges it says, And they all did what was right according to their own eyes. It's not that the world's not doing what's right. You know, they say it's right that we can do this or do that or whatever. I say, I understand you think it's right. It's not about what you or I think. It's what God says in his word is right. That's what's right. So true righteousness, that's what has to come into our mind. And holiness. This does not mean we're selling white robes, two for $10, you know, not, nothing like that. It means holiness to be separated. So you were part of the world. He says, separate yourself from it. Separate. Don't be like that any longer. You learn to live a different way. Separate. Therefore, verse 25, a lot of therefore. So like, did you get all that? That was enough. You're like, okay, I'm ready to go home now. Still got a few more verses though. I told you, you're going to get your feelings hurt before you get out of here. So therefore, as it comes to wrap this chapter up, Quickly, what does that mean for us as Christians? Well, if you want to ever get through everything we just went through real quickly, because that's a lot, to change your whole life, basically, to follow the Lord and true righteousness, well, here's some things you got to do. And I'll tell you from experience, I don't have to give you the Greek and the Hebrew, I can just tell you how it is. Therefore, put away lying. This does not mean um, lying to someone. This means put away a lying lifestyle. In other words, 
what he's essentially saying is if you come and are part of the body, that's what the chapter is talking about, you can't lie to one another. You can't deceive one another. In other words, you can't come in here and act like you're something else. Don't act like you got it all together. One of the worst things that we have going in Christianity today is everybody acts like we've all got it together. We don't have it together. We're failing. The church is failing. Christians are failing. When Jesus comes back, I know this is true because read through the first seven chapters of Revelation. He says, report card time for the church before we start judging the whole world, you know. Uh, So he goes through the, the seven types of churches and all, and he basically gives us an F. Failing. So what do you do to not fail? Well, you put away the lying. You have to have a basis of truth to have any change. What if you went to a mechanic? What's wrong with the car? Oh, it's fine. What about the black smoke? Ah, it just does that, you know? Cool mornings. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, how come it dies on the side of the road all the time? You know, you just don't know how to drive it. I really think it's fine. You know, you're not duped by a lying mechanic, right? Um, the same is true for your life. When you come to church and you say, ooh, well, this morning I read through some stuff and God told me in my heart I got some issues. I got some things that were hitting pretty close to home that I need to change, but you're never going to change if you don't come at it from a basis of truth. If you lie to yourself, that's the worst lie you can do. So lie to yourself today and say, I'm doing perfectly fine, and to leave here and not make any changes. Don't lie to yourselves. Put away the lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. That's another reference to the body, because you're all part of the same body here, so quit lying. If you have a problem, let's work through it. If you have issues, you better be honest with the Lord, or you're never going to work through it. Right? I mean, you can't. Can you go to a doctor and lie to him about your symptoms, and expect him to treat you? You, you can't go to the Lord in prayer, and lie to the Lord in prayer, and expect the Lord to come through with forgiveness and moving through your issues. He says, verse twenty-six: Be angry and do not sin. That's a new one because what does the world do? Well, they're angry too, but they sin. Okay, road rage, uh, you know, murder, killing. All this other stuff. Well, he says, no, I'm not saying you can be angry. That's an emotion. God can be angry. So anger is not sin. But what you do with it, you know, and I'm just going to say, you know, the sheetrock, it's never hurt anybody. So quit punching it. Uh, You know, there's things we do when we're angry that are just dumb. And he's saying, be angry and don't sin. A lot of the things we do when we're angry, you can't take them back. And uh, so that's a change that Christians should make. It says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Beth and I, we, we did that years ago. We said, if we get mad at each other, we're not going to go to bed angry. And we may still have disagreed. Now, I'm going to clarify this. We may have disagreed when we went to bed, but we weren't mad. And uh, that's a good thing. And he's saying in the church, don't do that because things grow. If you plant anger, it's going to grow into something, Okay. Don't plant it. That's, that's, a, that's a weed that you see it, you want to deal with it right then, get it gone, get it out of your life. Nor give place to the devil. Place there is a Greek word meaning beachhead. And I've talked about that before. You know, It's like when an army lands on a beach, they make a beachhead, like World War II. 
beaches of Normandy, that kind of a thing. And you make a beachhead so you can land the heavy equipment to attack the enemy. Satan's looking to make a beachhead into your life. So he says, don't give a place for that beachhead for the enemy into your life. In other words, those former things in your life, those are the beachhead areas that Satan's going to go. You used to be an alcoholic, so I'm coming after you. You used to be into this or that. I'm coming after you right there. Trust me, the devil's so good at what he does. And if you're being challenged, that's what the body is here for. Come up and let's pray. Pray on your own. Go to the Lord and don't lie about it. Say, I am challenged in this area or that area, and I need help from God to conquer that and to be that new person. And, you know, help is a good thing. Uh, and if you need help, seek the help, starting with the truth, not lying. So let him who stole, verse 28, still no longer change that about yourself. Um, and stealing, that's another thing. I'll bring out this out quickly. We're running short of time here. But if you're stealing, you think, oh, well, I don't steal. If, uh, if you commit adultery, you're stealing because you're stealing the wife or the husband away from where they should be. You're stealing a mom or you're stealing a dad away. Instead of encouraging them in a life that would be good, that would be honorable, that would bring happiness, you're stealing all of that from them. Don't do that. Uh, and so there's a lot of ways to look at stealing, of the things that we go for selfishly that are not ours. And, uh, you know, they weren't ours for the keeping. And uh, But it says here, rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Obviously, that's a uh, reference to monetary working so that you can give. Uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I'll say this around churches. So you need to speak the truth, you know, and, and even Paul, you know, he'll talk about Alexander the coppersmith there at that one time and said he didn't need much harm, you know, and he, he wrote that in the Bible. And I'm sure Alexander was thinking, oh, Paul, come on, man. You know, he had to put me down in the Bible. But, uh, so there's times just to call evil evil, you know, call the kettle black uh, sort of a thing. But most of the time, it doesn't do any good. Most of the time, and for most folks, it's better just to let it go. And I have learned that over the years, just let it go. Uh, I want to impart grace to those that hear me. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So that whole list of things, when you're falling off the wagon, you are grieving the Spirit of God. He sees it. He doesn't always step in to stop you, but he sees it, and it's grieving him. It's grieving God. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger. Anger there's, uh, in the Greek, it's uh, the same root word we get the word dynamite from. That means short-fused. Nobody needs to be short-fused. Remember, how, how can you be short-fused and long-suffering at the same time? You know, it doesn't work. So uh, put that all away, clamoring, evil speaking uh, with all malice. And he says, last verse, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. And he says, forgiving one another. Why would he say that? Because we're going to need a lot of forgiving. Because we all fail at this entire chapter on pieces of it. We need forgiving. Best thing that, in fact, 
if I'm going to make a wrong in this world and I get to heaven and God says, pulls me aside and says, one thing I've got against you, I want him to say, you just forgave too many times. You should have brought the hammer down. I'm like, well, you know, you said vengeance is yours. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to forgive because I feel better. Okay. And, and if I'm going to err, I'll err on the side of just, just forgive. The other thing is, if you don't forgive, what it does to me, what it does to you. When you don't forgive, it's not hurting them at all. It's hurting you. It changes your heart. And we're supposed to be putting on the new man. It doesn't go together. So be kind. Forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If you're having a hard time forgiving, remember what God forgave you for, and you can easily forgive them. Most of the time, people that jump down your throat about a little sin that they see you committing or something, know that that is the thing they're struggling the hardest with themselves. That's why they hate to see it on you. Your sin looks worse on somebody else. When you see that, it just it causes you to well up. And uh, in other words, if you're a person who, who flies off the handle all the time, it seems like that's the first person to come judge you for flying off the handle. And you're like, huh, that's a psychological thing that we do. I'm not sure why. And so he says, better that we forgive. Remember that Christ forgave. And then to top it all off, verse 1 of chapter 5, therefore, be imitators of God. So go and go home and figure that one out this week. And uh, we'll talk more about it next week. But he, he, I mean, he really leaves us on a, a high note here. But um, I guess to bring this home today and send y'all home, you know, I've been around and serving in churches for a lot of years. And uh, 25, 26 years ago, I guess, my dad started a church out west, and I, I started leading worship in the church. So I've been around the church leadership for all of those years and watching people come, people go. People come, people go to churches. And uh, they think, you know, if you get close to the pastor or his family that you're amazing, you know, and you've got a little bit of a red line to God, uh, something like that. Yeah, I've, I've seen it all. And the thing is, nothing really surprises me anymore. But here's the thing. You're called. This chapter is so true. If you don't do this, if you don't get your life in line, you will fall away. You can't keep up the lie forever. And I've watched a lot of people come and sit in church for a year or two, three, and eventually it gets to them and they go back to what they were doing. And you, you see their life and it's so sad. And I forgive them. I want them back. But I'm not going to compromise. You know, with what I've gone through in life, trials, this, that, the different years, I have determined that I want to die knowing Jesus and knowing for sure that I know where I'm going. Therefore, the course is true. And I just encourage you guys, just rectify that. You know, this week, read back through this chapter and go, you know, there's some things here I'm missing, but my heart tug, if that is there this morning, that heart tug, then you're in a good place. If it's not there, if you're saying I'm fine where I'm at and I don't get it, you need Jesus, and um, you need to make him real in your life. So we're going to close in prayer, and what I would like to do, if anything that I said here, if it made you mad, I'm sorry. The whole concept of the chapter was to be that mirror like this whole book has been for us. It's a mirror to look in and go, I'm missing it, and I need to get my life on track because time is short. And so I want to just lead us in a prayer, and I challenge you to stop the lying. If there's something on your heart today 
and it's just eating you up, today is a great day to say, I want to give that to the Lord. I want help in that. I want to conquer it. Put off the old man. I want to put on the new, and I want to start living for Christ. And I want to see if that will make a difference in my life to truly live for Christ. I don't want to fall off the wagon. If that's you, then pray with me, and let's give our lives to the Lord afresh. It will uh, impact your week for the good. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And Lord, as a church body, this entire chapter has been about the church, us coming together, not having uh, groups or clans, but one church, Lord. We love you, and we want you to be a real part of our lives. And so, Lord, with any that are listening to the word this morning and just feeling a conviction that our lives do not match up with uh, what your word says they should be, you're convicting us of various different things that we need to just give to you. We need free of some of these things of bondage, Lord. Some of the sins that are just habitual that we just, we can't kick them because we're not living according to this chapter, Lord. And Lord, I pray with and for everyone here, Lord, that is with me in asking, Lord, that you would help us to put off the old man, to make the decision to put those things away and those sins Lord, the things that tear us down and those around us down, that we could truly start living for you. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would come into our lives, that you would wash and that you would clean us, Lord, that you would seal us, and that you would begin to change our lives to look like these things, Lord, that we would be a a positive influence, Lord, for you on those around us. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that is saying, I don't know in all truthfulness, that I know the Lord, that I know the Lord like I should or know Him at all, and I want to be sure, then Lord, right now, we can't pray for them, but we certainly pray with them that they would be making the decision that they would say, forgive us of our sins, Lord. Come into my life and seal me. I want to make a change in my life. I want Jesus in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die and start doing this work that you laid out in this chapter in my life. And Lord, we pray for them, and uh, we, we pray with them, Lord. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would walk with all of us through this next week, wherever we may go, and that we would be a witness for you in whatever arena you have placed us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.